We're going to conclude our series radical as we look at Luke 11, um, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 36, if you want to go ahead and jump there as well. Now, who else is like me and you love setting goals? Anybody? We've got a few people raising their hands. A few of you are like, eh. Okay, well, I am a goal setter, probably way too much. I set way too many goals at the start of every year. You're only supposed to make like a few. I make way too many. I make goals for everything, goals for the staff, goals for my ministry, goals for how many books I'm going to read, for how many miles I'm going to run, um, all sorts of goals. Now, I don't hit all my goals. I'm of the philosophy that if you hit all your goals, you're aiming too low. That's my personal philosophy. Other people disagree with that uh, and freak out when they don't hit their goals. But I'm the guy that sets all sorts of goals. And I set it because I want to grow as a person. I want to get rid of some bad habits. <laughs> I want to add some good habits to my life. I want to stop doing stupid things and start doing wiser things. Because we all have stuff like that in our life, don't we? We're like, okay, I don't like this part of me. <laughs> I'd like to be more like this or more like that person or more like Jesus, right? We have these things that we want to get rid of and add things to our lives. But if any of you are like me and you've tried to do that, whether it's through setting habits or setting goals, you realize that you fail yourself, right? You fail yourself more than anyone else, right? You don't have to raise your hand for that one. But we, we try these things and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing great for three weeks. And then all of a sudden you have a bad day and you're off and you're like, okay, I'll start Monday. Next, the next Monday, maybe, maybe the Monday after that. Okay, maybe I'll wait till the next new month starts because that would be great. Uh, maybe when the summer's over, right? <laughs> okay, next year. Okay, let's just wait for a new year to start a new me, right? That's what we do. We are our own worst enemy in that way, that we set these goals. We try to change things about ourselves, and we struggle. I heard an interview with Angela Duckworth, and Angela Duckworth is kind of famous for, uh, she's a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, for her study uh, called GRIT, as she looked at what, what GRIT is, what sets kids apart so they can see, late, succeed later in life. Well, she received the MacArthur uh, Grant. Uh, I'm sorry, she was trying to get the MacArthur Grant because she had received like a MacArthur Fellowship, which is like a very prestigious um, academic thing. And so she was trying to come up like, well, what's the problem we need to solve? And she and one of the other professors from University of Pennsylvania who were working together said, well, there's one problem. There's one problem that we see above all else. And if we could solve this one problem, man, we could solve so many things in our world how to actually change our behavior. If we could figure out for people to actually change their behavior and what it takes to change behavior, man, we could solve all the other problems in the world, right? And that's what they looked at, and they're studying that, and they're focusing on it, trying to do all the psychology of it, this, what's going to actually change people's behavior and trying all sorts of different things because it is so hard to do. They said that is the biggest problem to tackle. And in this interview, Angela Duckworth said, that the problem with human beings is that they're human beings and that they repeatedly make decisions that undermine their own long-term well-being even when they know full well that they are eating the wrong thing, that they're spending their money on the wrong thing, and they're uh, spending their time in an unprofitable way. Doesn't that describe us? We know better. We know we should eat healthier. We know we should exercise more. We know we should stop binge-watching that show and wasting time. We know we should get to sleep earlier. There's so many things about us that we know we need to change. But to actually change it, it's hard. It's one of the most challenging things. And I think if we're all honest, we would say there's one area or a few areas of our life that I want to change. And maybe if you guys are taking notes, you can kind of write down one or two of those things that you're thinking about. If you're online, type it in so we can all see. Um, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. But not really, right? We all have those things that we know we want to change about our lives. 
So how do we get there? And what's more important is what we're going to learn today in this final message in our Radical series, is that Jesus doesn't want you to tidy up your life. He wants to transform your life. Okay? We want to tidy up. We want to change some behavior, change some habits, get rid of some bad things. But Jesus is saying, hey, no, no, no. We actually are going about it the complete wrong way because it's not about tidying up your life and cleaning it up a little bit so it's more presentable. It's about transforming your life. Now, I don't know if you guys are like me. Um, here, if you guys can hold on just a second. And that was a lesson in patience. All right? Okay. Some of you need to grow there. Okay. Um, so, uh, we, yeah, we, when you're looking at tidying up your life, have, have anybody had anybody over lately? I know it's kind of hard in the time of COVID, but when you do, and you're like, oh, we've got to tidy up real quick, right? We've got to make it look presentable. So you clean, like, the open areas. You make sure the bathroom's cleaned. But then you're like, okay, just shove it in the closet, right? Just shove it in the closet. Oh, let's put all that stuff into the drawer. You know that drawer. We all have it. Okay, put it in the drawer. Okay, oh, that room, not going to have time. Just shut the door. Hopefully nobody goes in there, right? Isn't this what we do in our house? Definitely don't go in the garage. Oh, don't see what the kids did in the basement, right? We do this, but we tidy up just enough so we look good, right? And I think we try to do the same thing with our lives, but what we're going to learn today is actually Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what we do. He says, when I come into your life, it's to transform it completely, entirely from the inside out. Jesus doesn't want to tidy up your life. He wants to transform your life. And that's what we're going to see in this passage of Luke 11, starting in verse 14. And in this section, Jesus is casting out a demon. And if you're like, that is bizarre, Matt. What the heck is a demon? I thought we left those in the medieval ages. I'm not going to actually talk much about the demon part right now. If you are interested in that, we had a message that really focused on that concept. And and is it true? Is it real? So if you want to go back, it it was the the series called Jesus Is um, Part 1 from May 17th. The title of that message was The Ultimate Authority. So even if, if you're like, oh my gosh, I can't even go further in this message, pause right now. Okay, go listen to that message and come back, okay? Because the basic idea that I talked about was if there are things that psychologists, the brightest psychologists and psychiatrists cannot figure out, maybe there's room for a spiritual thing in our world, okay? That's all I need to say to you. So if you're here and you're like, I don't believe in demons, just keep an open mind that maybe there are some things you don't know about. Okay, so we're going to get back to our story now because Jesus is casting out a demon. There's a man who is mute. He cannot speak. And Jesus casts the demon out of this man and all of a sudden he speaks, And everybody's like, wow, what a miracle. This man who hasn't spoken in who knows how long, years, all of a sudden can talk again like a normal human being. Something has happened. They all see that there's a power that comes with Jesus. One really interesting thing is even historical writers that weren't Christians describe Jesus as a miracle worker, somebody who performed strange signs. Like people wrote that in the history books. They're like, there's something about this Jesus dude uh, from Nazareth and he performed these signs and wonders. So here's the sign of wonder. It's undeniable that that's what Jesus did. And the people around him are trying to figure out what is going on with Jesus. And they come up with with two things that they're kind of challenging Jesus on. The first one is like, well, he is casting out demons. We see this guy that went from not being able to speak. Now he can speak. His life is transformed. But Jesus is probably doing that because he's empowered by Satan. That's the first thing that people are saying. Right? Of course, if you can't explain it, it's got to be from the devil. 
Okay, that's the first thing that people are saying about Jesus. And the second thing is they're like, well, maybe that's true, but we want more evidence. I think it's kind of funny. Sometimes the same thing happens today, right? Okay, whatever's going on there, it's, it's, it's something powerful, but it's probably from Satan. Or on the other hand, those are the religious people. The unreligious people are like, I need more proof. Okay, so that's what's going on with Jesus as we jump into our story. And he's going to address the first thing first. In, in verse 17, Jesus says, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against himself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. You like that name, Beelzebul? That was the nickname for Satan. It was probably a Canaanite word that meant the prince of demons or lord of the flies, perhaps. Oh, you heard that before? Okay, there's some interesting things here. So what they're saying is, uh, Jesus, he realizes, people are saying, hey, I'm driving out demons by Satan. He says, that doesn't make any logical sense. Yes, Jesus uses reason and logic. He says, if Satan is driving out his own demons, his minions, these fallen angels that work for him, he's just going to divide himself. That's stupid. Okay, it's stupid, and that's not what's going on, Jesus is saying. You recognize that language, any kingdom divided against itself? There's a very famous speech in American history by none other than Abraham Lincoln called that same thing, a house divided speech. Okay? If you're like me and you're a history nerd and studied uh, historical speeches in college, you're like, I remember that one. Okay, but, but we know that language. A house divided against itself doesn't stand. Okay? We know this when there's a war going on, when World War II is happening. Okay? It makes sense that we were dropping bombs on Berlin during World War II, right? But it would make no sense if we dropped them on Seattle. Right? Okay, we know this. A house divided against itself doesn't stand. You don't attack yourself. You don't attack your own people. And Jesus is saying, just logically speaking, people, if I'm performing miracles and casting out evil demons, I am not evil. And he just says, hey, some of your rabbis, too, are casting out demons, which was probably a thing in that day. And he's like, if, they're, if, if I'm doing it by the devil, so are they. And they're like, okay, logically speaking, you, you got us there, Jesus. You got us there. But what Jesus says next is what I really want to focus on, because I think he's just using that as a setting to explain what is going on spiritually, and it applies to that big idea that we're looking at today. So Jesus goes on in verse 21. Or I'm sorry, in verse 20, he kind of explains that. Uh, I, I want to make sure I jump back to this because it's so important. In verse 20, he says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So do you see what he's saying? He's like, this is God's power at work, not Satan's. God is here. The kingdom of God, the power, the reign of God is coming now into the world. It's just even that little finger of God, right? You get a pinky, he can drive out demons because God is that powerful. And Jesus says, I am that power. So here's this power. And now he goes on in verse 21 and 22 to describe it. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. What? Okay. This is a unique analogy. This is interesting what Jesus says. There's a whole bunch of analogies, illustrations that Jesus uses in this passage. But this first one, he says, if there's a strong man guarding a house, the house is a person, a human being. And that's the, the language that Jesus is going to use throughout this whole passage. The house is a person. And if that house is guarded by someone who is strong, the house is safe. What he's saying is they're guarded by a demon, a strong man, Satan. So if a demon has the power in someone's life, that person is, is going to not be able, they're going to be just basically controlled by this demon. That's what he's saying. But then he says, 
when the stronger man, someone stronger in verse 22, attacks and overpowers that first strong man, he takes his armor and plunders, right? So what he's saying is when a stronger man, someone stronger than the demon comes, that man is gone, he's cast out, and now the house is safe. The house is taken over. So when a demon, when Satan is, is controlling a person, when there's evil in a person's heart, but then when Jesus, the stronger man, comes in and casts out the demon, that person is transformed, okay? This is complicated, but I want you guys to get this. I want you guys to get this. What Jesus is explaining, he's like, this is what happens. I have this power to come in and cast out all the evil. If there is a demon that's, that's assaulting you, attacking you, if there's something in your life that is not good, I am stronger than all of that. I have the power of God. Okay, so, so let's move on a little bit more. Why is this important? Verse 24. When an impure spirit, another name for a demon, comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. That's going to be important. Underline that if you want to. Verse 26. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jesus is talking about demons here, and we're going to apply it a little bit more broadly than demons. But what Jesus is saying is, I can come into someone's life and cast out the demons, cast out the evil, change their life. But if all they do is tidy up, they just sweep, clean up a little bit, oh, my life's good now. If they do that, the demon will just come back with seven buddies and say, hey, we're coming and taking over. Does that make sense? Okay, if, if just one demon is cast out, they're going to come back eventually and bring some friends and be even stronger in their life. Okay, if, if there was a robber coming to your house and there's just one guy and you call the cops, scare off the robber, then the cops leave, that robber is like, hmm, okay, I, I've been watching the house, now there's nobody there. I'm going to bring back some buddies and we're going to rob that house. That's what he's saying, right? Because if in the meantime you have not put up your security system or locked your doors or gotten your own personal uh, way of defending your home or, or somehow gotten the police uh, involved, you're just going to get even worse ransacked, right? This is a crazy story, but this week uh, my Jeep was left, I left my Jeep in the parking lot for a few nights and somebody went underneath and cut the gas line three times. And it turns out there's a bunch of cars around here that the same thing happened to. But when I got the, the tow truck driver to come and take a look at it, told me, you know, I, I figured out pretty quickly there's something wrong with the gas line when it's squirting gas out all over the pavement. Um, and he said, yeah, you, you're going to want to move this car because sometimes this happens and they come back later at night to steal the vehicle or steal the tires. Because okay, they're going to come back and do something even worse, right? So if I would have just left my Jeep there, who knows what would have happened. It's fixed now in case you're wondering. Um, but the point is, they come back, right? They come back even worse than they did at first. And, and this is the case with demons, but I believe that we can apply this a little bit broader. So yes, you can have a demon cast out of your life, but if you go back and live the exact same way that you were living before Jesus came and changed you, it's just going to get worse. So that's why I think we can apply, apply it a little bit broader. So let's just say, hey, I, you're like, I don't have a demon, far as I know, but, but I have these bad habits. I have this addiction. I have this terrible relationship I'm a part of. But I'm going to fix this addiction, okay? I, I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop getting drunk uh, on the weekends. I'm going to stop in, in that relationship that I know is very unhealthy. 
But then if you don't change anything about your life, you're just going to gravitate right back towards that. And it could be worse than before. You get that divorce, and then you start the next relationship, and then you get divorced again. People are like, man, there's no good women anymore. Okay, well, what's the common denominator between those three divorces you had? Okay? Could be all women in the entire world, or maybe it's something else, right? Because that's what we do. We want to change one little thing. We want to tidy up our life. But then we get back into the same things, or worse things. Okay, I gave up this addiction to nicotine, but, but now I'm drinking too much scotch. Isn't this what we do? We, we, we trade one bad habit for another. Okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm no longer involved in that unhealthy relationship, but now I'm focused so much on work that it's going to destroy my family. I'm addicted to work, and that's what I do to keep myself busy so I don't think about that old addiction. I get out of that unhealthy relationship, and then I fall into pornography. Isn't this what human beings do, right? Isn't this the problem with human beings? We just want to change the one bad thing, that one thing. Let me clean that up. Let me tidy that up. Let me fix that one thing. But then we're back into all the other bad stuff, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And yes, Jesus is specifically talking about demons, but as he goes into this next section, we're going to see that he's talking about much broader things. Because what Jesus is really trying to teach us is that I'm not about tidying up your life. I'm about transforming your life. I don't want you to fix a few things that everybody else sees are wrong with you. I want to fix you entirely to make you into an entirely new type of human being. I want to transform you. So look, if, if we move a little bit down now into verse 29. It says that as the crowds increased... Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Whose kids are those? Are those, are those my kids? <laughs> um, my wife is a, a super mom rock star. She gets the th- three, our three kids here every morning. I don't know how she does it on Sundays by herself. Thank you, honey. I love you. Yeah, you can applaud for that. Um, and we love the sound of kids in our church, don't we? We love the sound of kids, so we want your kids to be here and crying. I mean, we don't want them to be crying, but, you know, we love kids. Um, so as we're getting into this, what Jesus says is this is a wicked generation and asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. What are they talking about? Well, here's the second group of people. The religious people are saying, we're saying that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of Satan. And now the irreligious group is saying, um, we need more proof. We need another sign. We need more miracles to know if this guy actually is from God. We need more. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. What does he mean there? What did Jonah do? We actually had a message on the book of Jonah this summer. You can go back and listen to it. The real reason for Jonah's reluctance, if you want to go find that in our um, uh, uh, No Ordinary People series. But Jonah was this crazy prophet. You may know him from your kid's story because he got swallowed by a fish and spit up on the dry land. But he went to Nineveh, which were terrible people who had uh, attacked and butchered all sorts of people all over the world. They were known for torturing people and then taking the people that they conquered and moving them to an entire different country, okay? So they made all sorts of people uh, immigrants, right? Uh, Unwitting. So the Ninevites are terrible. Everybody hates them. And God says, go tell them to repent or they're going to be destroyed. Jonah didn't want to go because he wanted them destroyed. But he went anyways and he preached. And it's the shortest sermon in the Bible, but like the most effective. He preached eight words. Eight words. And he's basically like, Nineveh, 
If you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed. Shortest sermon ever, and yet the entire nation repents. The king first tears off his clothes. He's repenting. He's falling down on his knees, calling out to God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. The whole nation does. It says 120,000 people are joining to, to repent and worship the one true God. That was the sign that Jonah came and told them, you need to repent. That was his message. And what Jesus is saying is that I will give you the same sign. I will come into you and say, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin. That's what repentance means in in, uh, Greek, which uh, this word repentance is in in our uh, New Testament, is the word metanoia. Meta, change, noia, mind. Change your mind. Because your mind is thinking one way, it has habits one way, it, it is drawn to one thing, and you need to change it to something different. That's what he's saying. It needs to be a repentance. That's what he says is the first step now. Okay? And I think of repentance as it's not just saying, I'm sorry for the things I have done, but it's saying, I'm going to change my life to do something differently. Does that make sense? It's, there's a twofold thing. There's two sides of the coin of repentance. It's turning away from something and turning towards something. So Jesus is saying, I am among you just like Jonah was. If Jonah in his day, 120,000 of the worst people in the world repented, and I am here among you telling you to repent, what are you doing? Why are you asking for more signs? And the sign of Jonah is really unique because what did Jonah do? He was in the fish, in the belly of a fish for three days, right? Bizarre story. And though they didn't know it, Jesus too would be in the belly, not of a fish, but of the earth itself. When he died and was put in a tomb for three days. And when Jonah was spit up out of the fish on a dry land, Jesus too rose from the dead. When Jesus is saying, you want a miracle, I'm going to show you the biggest miracle of all. But most importantly, if I tell you to repent, you need to repent. You need to change your mind. You need to change your life. You need to change your behavior. You need to turn away from the sin and the bad habits and all the stupid things you're doing and you need to turn towards me. That's what repentance is and that's what you need to do. I'm not here to tidy up your life. I'm here to transform your life, Jesus is saying. And it's not just a few things. It's not just the things on the outside. Jump down to verse 33. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. And then jump down to verse 36. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full as light as when a lamp shines its light on you. He's saying, if there is light that has come into your life, you don't hide it. You're going to let people see it. And that light should come into you, he said in verse 36, and be light everywhere. There should be no darkness inside of your body, inside of your house. The light needs to be seen by others, visible to others, but it also needs to be light all the way through the inside. So yes, you, you should have a life that looks good for other people. They should see your good deeds. They should feel your love, uh, see your acts of love for them as you serve them and love them. But it should also be all the way through you. There should be light in every single nook and cranny of your life. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to have complete repentance, total repentance, transformation. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. This complete, full transformation. You know, when we have this sin in our life, you know, we try to just take off the one thing and then another and then then work on this. And man, there's so much, isn't there? Okay? There's just one thing after another. In um, C.S. Lewis's book... um, Voyage of the Dawn Shredder. It's one of the Chronicles of Narnia. 
there's this really interesting uh, imagery because Eustace is the character that everybody hates. <laughs> he is annoying. He is rude. He is just not a fun guy to be around. And he knows it, and he makes him even more annoying and more rude. So when they land on an island, of course, they're, you know, in the, the magical world of Narnia, they land on an island, and he runs off because he's just like, I don't want to be with those people anymore. And he goes into a cave, and he finds this treasure. And he's like, ah, now my life is going to be perfect. I have this gold. I have this treasure. Everything's good. His whole greed and all of his things, because he's, he's thinking about all the ways that he's going to use that to, to show other people that he's better than them. I'm going to be rich, and I'm going to be powerful, and they're all going to do what I say now. All his sin is now coming out to the surface, and he falls asleep in this cave, and he wakes up as a dragon. Does anybody remember this if you've read the books? Or, there was a movie that came out when I was a kid too. But okay, the, He turns into a dragon. It's just covered with scales, and he looks at himself in this lake, and he sees that he's a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon with wings and scales all over himself, green and disgusting. Because what's basically happened is all that sin that's been on the inside, now everyone can see it visibly, Right? And Aslan, who of course is the Christ figure in those stories, comes the lion and he talks with Eustace and he says, you need to go and wash yourself in the pool. You've got to take off all those scales and get into this pool. And he starts scraping at himself and, and it, it, he takes off one layer of, of this skin, these scales, but then there's another one underneath it. He takes off another layer and another layer and there's just more and more of these green, nasty scales all over him and he can't do it. And finally Aslan says, let me do it. And though Eustace is afraid because this lawn is now, a lion is now pawing at him, right? With his claws, he thinks, oh my gosh, it's going to hurt so much. But he rips off this outer skin, these scales, and, and he feels like Eustace feels like he's going to die. Oh no, is he going to cut my heart because he's cutting so deep? But finally he gets all of the scales, Aslan does, off of Eustace the dragon. And then Eustace dips himself in the water, and like that he's transformed back into a human being. See, he tried to get off all those scales, but it didn't work. He tried to get rid of that sin in his life, but there was just more underneath it, right? But when Aslan, the, the Christ figure, when Jesus comes into his life and says, let me help you with that, he begins to take off everything in his life and then to put him in that pool of transformation. I love the imagery of that story because it's teaching us is that we cannot do enough to fix ourselves. We can't tidy up our lives enough. We can't change enough bad behaviors and add enough good ones. We cannot transform our lives, but Jesus can and he wants to. That's what he's saying. Come to me in repentance and I will forgive you your sins and I will give you a new life. I will transform you into my image and day by day for the rest of your lives, you'll become more and more like me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And, and Jesus is saying that it's not about tidying up your life. I want to transform your life. And I think it's really interesting that here there's an imagery throughout this whole section of the house, that our bodies are a house. And a lot of people have kind of pulled on this imagery. Um, there's, there's a famous little book called My Heart, Christ's Home. Recommend it to everybody. There's um, even people like Teresa of Avila um, wrote on this imagery. Um, and it's again and again when you read Christian literature because they, they look at that and they say, that this house that we have, that's our, ourselves, the house. And if you look at each room of the house, some people try to just tidy it up on the outside, right? <laughs> but then you hide stuff in the closet. Okay, that drawer is messed up. Okay, you just clean the area that people are going to walk through, right? Not that bedroom upstairs. But when Jesus actually comes into our life, what he wants to do is transform the entire house. And what C.S. Lewis describes at the end of his book, Mere Christianity, um, is that when Jesus comes in, we think he's just going to give us a, a little bit of a remodel, 
to tidy things up, right? Oh yeah, you can change the countertops. But what Jesus actually does is he starts with a sledgehammer and starts bashing out walls. He starts ripping up the floorboards. Okay, in this little cottage you thought you were going to be getting, Jesus is making you into a palace. He's going to do a drastic change to your life, to transform it. it you won't even recognize it. That's what he wants to do. And, and I want you to think about it in the same way. Let's use that imagery some more for our life, for the, for the house. Okay, in the living room, you have people over and you chat with them, right? You're hanging out with people pre-COVID in your living room. Remember those days? You have somebody over, you're talking to them. Think about the way you talk with people. Has Jesus transformed your speech? Are you using wholesome language or do you tell some jokes that are, uh, you know, not fit for uh, good ears? Do you slander people? Do you spend all your time gossiping or complaining? Think about your speech. Has Jesus transformed your speech? Let's move to another room of the house. Okay, let's think about that closet that you're hiding all that stuff in, okay? Do you have things that you don't want anybody else in your life to know about? Are you hiding something? Maybe it's something from the past, a hurt, a pain, that's a, a deep wound that you're like, I don't even want to go there. Jesus wants to go there. He wants to transform it. Okay, you can keep moving around other rooms in your house. What about the bedroom? Ooh. Okay, I'll, I'll go to church on Sundays, but you know, my, my relationships, my sex life, that's, that's mine, right? We hold on to that, right? But what if Jesus is saying, no, I want your whole house. I want to transform everything about you. We can go through each room in your house and I want you to think about it. Maybe, maybe it's your office, you know, where you're working from home right now and paying the bills. Are you just in there so that you can make money for yourself? Or, or are you giving to God first? And say, I'm going to give to God first, I'm going to save second, and I'm going to live on the rest. Have you allowed God to transform your money? Man, that's one of the things we Americans hold on to the longest, right? But have you allowed Jesus to come into that part of your house to transform it? Because Jesus isn't about tidying up. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And what's the most amazing thing about Jesus is that he did not just preach repentance, but he lived a life of perfect obedience. The life we have all failed again and again and again to live. He called us to to allow the light to shine throughout our whole lives, but only he, he alone is the one who truly lived out the way God has called him to. He shone his light before all sorts of people, right? The light has come into the world, and then the world does not see him. He's there. And Jesus came, and those same people he came to love and save and serve killed him. They executed him. They hung him up on the cross, and then they put him in the ground for three days. But like Jonah was spit up onto dry land, so Jesus was risen from the dead to prove that God has the power to transform even a dead body. And he has that power for your life as well. The finger of God, Jesus says, is coming and the kingdom of God is upon you. We need to move away from trying to tidy up our life and change a little bit of behavior here and there. We need to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and transform everything. And no, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect from here on out. We're going to be far from it. In fact, the more you have this transformation in life, the more sin you're going to see in your life. But you're going to just say, hey, I want more transformation. I want you to come in again to take off those scales, to change me again and again to become more like you. And that's what we do together as a church, that we grow together, realizing we all have ugly scales and things in our closets that we don't want anybody to know about. But Jesus has called us 
to follow him. And following him means that it's not just about tidying up. It's about transforming our lives. I remember um, just last year as, as we have um, Chase uh, come up and, and Sawyer come up. I remember there was a guy that came last fall. His name was John. And he was here with United. You know, they bring in people for training and then they go out. And, and I, I love talking with John. He said, yeah, Matt, um, you know, five years ago I wasn't a Christian, he said. He said, five years ago I was just going through a terrible divorce. He's like, it's my fault. Going through a terrible divorce. Bad things were happening. And I was depressed. He said, one night I decided I was going to take my own life. Things were so bad. I just wanted to end it. I couldn't fix anything more. But John told me, he said, that night, as I was ready to take my own life, I heard a voice tell me, follow me. And he said, I knew it was Jesus, even though I didn't know him. And he said, since then, I've been in church now for five years. I've been growing in my faith. I've been following Jesus. And something has happened. And, and he said, I don't even remember why I did things five years ago. He's like, I look back at that. And I'm like, who was I? He's like, I'm a completely different person than I was five years ago. And I loved being able to talk with him because I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have known anything about your past by the way you are acting and loving now. And I think that's what Jesus wants to do to all of us. It's not about tidying up. It's about being transformed by Jesus' spirit inside of you. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion. Sawyer's going to lead us through that. And Chase is going to lead us through another song of worship. And what I want to encourage you to do is take that. If, if you're watching online, put it on pause right now. Okay, Pause this live service and go get a bre- some bread or some crackers or, I, I don't know, any, anything, right? Anything, any carbohydrate. Just get a carbohydrate and get something, um, get some starch, get a potato. I don't care what it is because what we're talking about is that it represents the body of Christ. Okay, and I want you to take that. Um, we, we have some of these little cups, these uh, communionables, I call them. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. And Mike uh, can, can bring you one. Just raise your hand if you need one of these communion rolls. And what we're going to do is we're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross, that his blood was shed as we take that. And for your drink, you can use any liquid, okay? Starch and a liquid, right? That's, that's what I'm saying to do with communion right now. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to take it together. And as you're doing it, I want you to invite Jesus, his Holy Spirit, his body to come inside of you. To come inside of your body so that he would transform you from the inside out. That part of your life, that behavior, that sin that you're like, I I see it, I want to get rid of it, I know what's in my closet. Say, Jesus, I want you to take that and transform it from the inside out. Um, And and what we're going to do, we're going to do that. And and some of you, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to do that today. And I want you to do that. I just want you to say a simple prayer of repentance. Say, I have sin in my life, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me and come inside my life. And as you take this communion, maybe for the first time, I want you to be accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're saying, as you take the bread, as you take the cup together with us as a family, you're saying, I follow Jesus. And if you're going to do that, I want you to go to stapletonchurch.com slash follow and let me know about it so I can get in touch with you and encourage you in your new journey. Let's pray. Lord God, um, when you sent your son Jesus, it wasn't just to fix a few things about our lives. It was to transform us from the inside out. And Lord God, I pray that we remember that it's not about behavior modification. It's not about changing a few um, bad habits. It's about transforming us. And I pray, God, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of each one of our lives. That we'd look at the rooms in our house and see which ones are out of order, which ones definitely need to be transformed. And I pray that we would just open those up to you right now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come into our lives.
God, you are the good, good Father, and you love us. You sent your Son for us, and because of that, we turn to you. Transform us all from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Matt Wolf again, lead pastor of Stapleton Church. If you have benefited at all from our ministry today, I want to encourage you to do three things. First, subscribe. Subscribe on whatever device you're using so that you can make sure that you get our messages and services every single week. The second thing I want to do is I want to get to know you. There's some people that have been joining us online this summer in the pandemic, and I still haven't had a chance to get to know you. And I care about you. I love you. I want to be your pastor. So if you could, fill out the form at stapletonchurch.com slash new, and I want to reach out to you personally to get to know you. Please do that. And the third thing is to give. If you have benefited from our ministry, if we've helped you take a step in your journey to follow after Jesus, please go to stapletonchurch.com slash give and set up a recurring gift to our church so that it would not only support our ministry, but our ministry around the world, so that you would be helped to follow Jesus and other people would be helped to follow Jesus, so we can multiply our effectiveness in this world. Please go to stapletonchurch.com slash give, and I will see you next week.